Oh, let's break it down. Coming at you with J-Will. Get this. This is our 50th piece of content online. Woohoo! Half a century. Go us. <laughs> Nailed it. That's right. There's 50 episodes before, well, 49 before this particular episode. But it's our luck that the 50th episode, we get to recall the last week of regular season play in Overwatch League season number two. Jay will what did you think of the Los Angeles Valiant homestand? Another exciting event. Uh, really good crowds in the LA area. Obviously playing into the uh, gamer uh, persona, having it at the Novo, you know, owned by Microsoft, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, another fantastic event. Crowds are in your face. They're louder. You can feel and hear the difference between the homestands and Blizzard Arena. And I just, I'm excited for what they can bring to each location around the world next year because of what we've seen this year. But I thought LA was another wonderful event put on, had some of the best teams. Unfortunately, not all the playoff implications we would have hoped for, but still really good matches against some of the best teams in the league right now and a good playoff preview at a certain level. Yeah. And I think even if they weren't all necessarily playoff implications, a lot of a lot of teams in there would love to ruin each other's day. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Those teams hate to lose to each other, and there were good matchups for that to, to show that, and we got that quality of play from several teams. All right, well, today is August the 27th. Overwatch League season number two regular season has come to a close, and we are going to be recalling each of those matches that took place over this past weekend for the Los Angeles Valiant home stand. But first, we got a skosh of news coming your way. And it's I guess it's really less news and more like, here, get ready for the playoffs. And we'll probably include this again on our playoff preview as we get into it. But for your edification, yes, Sigma will be live for the playoffs. Yeah. I don't even know where to begin with this, but at the end of the day, it's <laughs> happening. So just get used to it, basically. Sigma's coming, and it's going to create a really interesting aspect for the playoffs. It might as well, again, be a new season because there's a new hero. Teams are going to have to adjust. You're going to see different lineups. I think it's actually really going to affect the May Reaper lineups. I won't be surprised to see a lot of Symmetra played uh, as she, you know, builds her She's a shield primary now. Right. Builds her primary, doesn't waste ammo, just holding down her primary click on a shield. So um, it's a good way to combat sigma I, I just want to i'm interested to see what teams come up with it will be different there's really no time to feel it out unfortunately for the team so they hopefully have been practicing with sigma in the live servers or in the ptr wherever they need to go i don't care at this point but hopefully they've been practicing with him enough and working on some compositions so they come out a little more prepared than i felt like they did at the start of stage four we i don't feel like they really really settled into about midway through week two within the meta so we'll see what happens though It'll be interesting, and, it, you know, we have our top teams. It could mean they're no longer our top teams. Who adjusts the best, honestly? So it'll be interesting. Right, and for people who were interested in Season 1 of the Overwatch League and this one, there are basically three sets of playoffs that are about to occur. So what you're going to get first coming up this weekend is going to be what's called the play-in tournament, and that is for a chance for the – uh, seven through twelve seeds to play into the to the top eight 
which will get them into the into the grand finals. Um, and then what you're going to have is you're going to have the actual top eight teams competing in the playoffs. And then there, because these are double elimination playoffs now, it is there is a loser's bracket and a winner's bracket to the playoffs coming up. So we're going to dive into a lot of this stuff in details, but just at a really high level, there's going to be a play-in tournament coming up this weekend. That will determine the seventh and eighth seeds of the of the the final playoffs, and then the final playoffs will have a winner's bracket and a loser's bracket as we go through a double elimination reseeded tournament. I'm down for that, by the way. Like I'm all aboard that. I think you know it's going a long way for me to helping to make sure. I guess I don't know if make sure is the right word, but. Uh, get to a point where you know it's the two best teams. So if like a team has a really bad match one day, or just you know someone gets sick, I don't know. It's, it's double elimination. You have a chance to play back in. You can totally fight back into it. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, I don't think you can come to the end of this playoffs and go <laughs> into the end of this whole set of playoffs and go, oh, it wasn't the two best teams at that. I mean, you had your opportunities to play in if you were outside of the top six. You had your opportunity to play back in if you lost in the in the finals finals. So it's like you have every chance in the world to make that grand finals match. So, you know, if, if you don't make it there, I, I don't know what will help you. Yeah, it, it does remove the randomness of a single elimination tournament. Uh, we've talked about it before. That's kind of what makes the NCAA tournament so unique is the randomness that can be created because it's you get one shot. You don't get a second game. Nothing's guaranteed. You don't get to have a bad day. If you have a bad day, you're basically going home, and that's the end of your season. Not going to be the case here. The best teams are going to have a real opportunity to show that they're the best teams, even if they do have one bad day throughout it. And reading the playoff bracket they put out, it's actually not going to be uh, reseeded for a change, which is great to see. It's just going to be you know the winner of this match versus the winner of this match, but they have it set up so the winner of 1-8 plays the winner of 4-5, and I finally am like, you guys got the memo at least. So that'll be a good thing uh, as well. We've been begging for that throughout the stage playoffs, but they have yet to give it to us. So maybe they'll make a change. Well, there's no stages every year, so ignore what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> anyway, but you know we'll get that, and the winners bracket will be good. Uh, it'll be shorter technically than the losers bracket because there's four separate days worth of games that have to be played to get your way through the losers bracket to get to the grand finals. But the winners bracket, when we get to that winner's bracket championship, which is just before the grand finals, that should be two really good teams playing at the top of their game. Uh, one will get directly into the grand finals. The other will unfortunately drop down to the loser's bracket, but we'll only have to win one match to get back into the grand final. So it's going to be good. I, I really am, am excited about the double elimination. I was begging for it last year as I was going through the playoffs. I'm glad they went ahead and did it in season two. Didn't make us wait any longer for that. Um, yeah, it's going to be fun. Uh, of note though, and I mentioned this to you, I think, a little earlier, but they're actually going to end up having to compete with football. You know, NFL starts in a week or so, about a week and a half now, two weeks maybe. Yeah. Uh, and they're playing some of these playoff matches on Sunday afternoons. So they're going to be competing with football viewers. I'll be interested to see if we can find those ratings numbers to see how they were or weren't affected. And the grand finals itself is being played on a Sunday, smack dab in the middle of football, starting near the end of the the early game window. And, you know, we'll be continuing on through the start of the late window. So 
I'm intrigued to, to see how they stand up against the NFL. I know it's not going to match them, but I'm interested to see what kind of viewership they get with right. that that competition. I, I think if you had to draw a Venn diagram of NFL fans and Overwatch League fans, I don't know how much overlap I'd put on that one. Um, I would probably say that we're more in the minority. <laughs> um, I, I would I would agree. I'm not yeah. going to deny that. I would agree. But that's why I'm actually so, so interested to see how that does work out. Do they lose viewers to the NFL or do people find a way to do both is kind of where I'm at with it. Yeah, I, I mean, that that one's tough, too, because it's like, I mean, for Overwatch League, because everything comes out on YouTube, like, you know, pretty quickly. <laughs> um, you know, if I had to make a choice between watching Overwatch League live or NFL live, uh, NFL would probably be my priority, especially if I had a team. And then Overwatch League, I mean, I, I know I can watch it on YouTube or Twitch as the highlights within, I mean, 20 minutes. So, <laughs> um you know that would have an impact, and you know, so I don't know how they factor a lot of that into overall views or or how it all works really. But it'd be interesting. Yeah, I mean, it will be interesting to note. I mean, if they have a significant drop off in the viewership, I would definitely attribute it to that. But if they don't, you know, you know that your fans aren't necessarily also NFL fans. Yeah, that's that's also a fair point. You know, you know that you have your dedicated fans, and they're not going to be siphoned off when NFL season comes back every year. Or that, that Overwatch League at least takes priority. That that too. <laughs> All right. But before we dive into a lot of that good stuff, we had some Overwatch happen this past weekend. And it was uh, it was pretty good. In a lot of sports, that last regular season week can be pretty dull. I mean, week 17 of the, of the National Football League typically has no good matches. Or there's maybe one or two that are worthwhile because it's the last you know playoff spots that are trying to get grabbed. But, you know, in this case, Overwatch League trying to create some rivalries here, trying to pin geographically based off some other rivalries, just whatever they could find to encourage these matches to be competitive regardless of the current standings or whether or not there were playoff implications. And we would kick it off with a maybe south you know southern u.s rivalry that they're trying to create here uh atlanta dallas as far as i know typically don't have very many many rivalries um that i'm aware of the you know the falcons and the cowboys aren't exactly gigantic rivals but you know here we are regionally in the southern side of the united states and it's going to be atlanta rain taking on the dallas fuel and ultimately went the way we would expect (laughs) i think uh, Atlanta come came into this playoffs looking absolutely dominant in many of their matches. Uh, they definitely have something with Baby Bay and Erster, but don't write off Enlayer. They sub him in from time to time. Um, interestingly enough, Baby Bay would come out to start this match on Symmetra, and I believe I sent out the message, but he would do more damage than pretty much the entire Dallas Fuel roster did in his in his Symmetra time. So <laughs> Atlanta came out and I guess their coaches even claim, you know, hey, we're working on compositions that we think are going to be Sigma relevant or playoff relevant. And so that's, you know, why we saw some of that Symmetra. And it would work for the Atlanta Reign and they would end up taking the match three to one. Coming on Symmetra against Dallas, uh, probably a little disrespectful. You know, you're willing to try some newer compositions in preparation for the playoffs knowing you're at least in the play-in but at the same rate knowing you have a spot at the top six or a shot at the top six and you could get there by winning two matches this weekend you're looking at your opponents you probably felt good about both 
Um, so like I said, that's the only reason it probably comes off as a little disrespectful because <laughs> you're like, oh no, we can try something new and still get away with this and yeah. make sure that we win both matches. But at the end of the day, uh, I'm actually very happy that they did do some of that because that was, a, again, a little bit of what I think is going to be a preview come come playoff time this week. And it's it's going to be good for Atlanta, obviously, because they're getting real practice in real matches with what they think is going to be useful to them going forward. They were playing phenomenal already within the 2-2-2. So what did you have to lose at that point? I mean, you can easily revert back to going to May Reaper, Hanzo, May, whatever you want to do there and be just fine to get through this match more than likely because Dallas just not playing well at all in stage four, unfortunately going 0-7, joining the 0-7 club, which there are several members of at this point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Atlanta doing what they had to do in this matchup. Actually a little surprised Dallas took a map, but again, the map differential didn't matter. So Atlanta was just like, just get the win and let's get out of here. So handled their business early on as well. So they, yep. they ended up taking Volskaya after, and it was a pretty, it was an incredible match for Dallas to even take because Atlanta took second point Volskaya in like record time is what, is what <laughs> it felt like. They just Rick rolled over it. So for Dallas to even be able to take the second point and then force it into the overtimes and then actually be able to hold Atlanta off was was pretty incredible for Dallas in my opinion. We also uh, we got our last in our final Mickey viewing of season two. Yes, yeah, sad day honestly. Yeah, we need we need more Mickey all season long. I'll be interested to see if he's actually back in Dallas next year. So we'll have to wait and find out on that though. Yeah, I think one of our hopefully one of our off season things will be kind of team predictions on where we think some of these guys are going to go or end up or what these teams are going to look like and do. But that will take us into the next matchup, which is the Boston Uprising taking on the New York Excelsior. Not a whole lot of surprise here either. Boston's just playing to get out of this season at this point. I mean, you know, if they heard me say that, they'd be like, "No, we're competitive. We're trying to, you know, we're always trying to win matches." I get it. That's fine. But that's not really what's happening when you get into that server. And, you know, I mean, your season's just totally shot. You're not going to make the playoffs. You're not going to make, you know, you're not going to be successful in this stage at all. Uh, you know, you, you don't you don't fire up your, your 150% and, you know, just because it's the New York Excels here. But the Overwatch League trying to set up that Boston-New York rivalry a little bit, one that exists across pretty much all sports. You know, you got the Red Sox-Yankees. You got the pats and you got the giants and jets and all that kind of good stuff so a lot of good rivalries coming in here uh outside of this so trying to set up that same geographical rivalry uh in this case the new york excelsior who claims at least to be taking their foot off the gas a little bit and coasting into the playoffs is going to take this match at three to one so the thing for this match for me was that they actually played flower quite a bit in the whole thing, I was actually surprised to see him playing over Nene or Sabiobi. Um, I'm a little or surprised. Pine. Well, I we haven't, haven't seen Pine <laughs> at all, so who knows? Whatever. Uh, no Pine this season. But it, it is interesting that Sabiobi's not finding his way in. Granted, the meta did not exactly work out to really include Tracer very much. So Not a ton of Tracer play. Kind of is what it is. I thought maybe they'd use a little more Sombra. No, it's, like, it's, it's kind of just... Worked its way to Reaper May, Hanzo May, and then every now and then you get some Widow play out there. But uh, Flower looked good, though. I can admit that. Uh, I was not not concerned about New York's ability with Flower once you saw him play within the 2-2-2. I remember seeing him earlier in the year, and I just was very unimpressed. But 
within the roll lock, it looks a lot better and they look like they're a lot more cohesive with him still uh, being able to play DPS heroes as opposed to being stuck playing a uh, Zarya or uh, Bridget. I can't remember what he actually did play. At the end of the day, though, New York handled their business. Nothing to play for in this one, but they definitely shouldn't have lost this match, and they didn't. And they were just preparing for, for Sunday with a big matchup against Vancouver. I'd be interested to see how much Tracer does come back with the Brigitte rework. So Brigitte has been a, uh, a hero that has largely countered pretty much anything you want to do with Tracer because she just makes Tracer so vulnerable. Problem with Brigitte now is her shield is so nothing. Yeah, you definitely can't <laughs> you leave can crack up. her shield in a matter of seconds. And once she doesn't have her shield, she doesn't have shield bash, which then opens up space for Tracer to come in and do work. So interested to see if she makes a little comeback here. Certainly will be. But that would move us into the first match of the day. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> good is an understatement. Good is an understatement, man. This one almost felt like a replay from like the stage one, stage two playoff matches. These two teams are developing a rivalry. This is an organic rivalry that's developing yes, here. Yes, uh, It has nothing to do with geography or any of that stuff. It has to do with success and two of the teams trying to battle to be the most successful team in this league. And that's going to be San Francisco Shock taking on the Vancouver Titans and certainly a potential playoff preview. And, you know, I, I took the Vancouver Titans, and early on I felt pretty okay about that <laughs> coming into a, you know, kind of a 2-1 lead. And uh, ultimately the San Francisco Shock were going to pull that back and take this match at 3-2. to two. A couple of important notes from from my perspective here. The first one is you have an MVP candidate support hero or support player in Twilight on the Vancouver Titans. And for this round, for this matchup, they decided to run Repel um, in Twilight spot for uh, pretty much everything. And then the other note was in the first two rounds, uh, Li Zhang, Volskaya, actually into the three rounds, Li Zhang, Volskaya, and then King's Row. The San Francisco Shock seemed like they had some pretty epic troubles, like closing kills, right? So they would get everyone low, you'd look, you'd be really worried for the Vancouver Titans, and then all of a sudden, you know, Vancouver would do what they do, kind of take on a 5v6, commit some ultimates, and they would win the fight. So they brought in Sinatra on King's Row on Doomfist to try and solve that problem, it felt like. Um even though on Volskaya, Architect had kind of leveled up his Hanzo <laughs> a little <laughs> bit. Uh, and ultimately, Sinatra on Kings, who would look dominant, but you know Vancouver on Kings Row is just, that's like their map. <laughs> I have to go look at the stats and see if they've ever lost on Kings Row. I don't know if they have. Um, but I think, for me, the, the story for the San Francisco Shock ultimately would be Architect here on Hanzo. Just coming in, able to close the kills, you know, in situ just pulling off crazy multi-kills, getting the headshots when he needed to. Um, it was just absolutely a dominant performance from Architect here. Um, you know, for sure opened up by the rest of the team and everything else, but he was, for me, when I'm watching, that, those were where my eyes were drawn. What What is Architect doing and where is he? He was definitely carrying San Francisco. Uh, I understand they didn't win every map or didn't win the first one and third one, obviously, but he still looked phenomenal the whole time. He was easily the MVP of the match. Uh, it was really fun watching Sinatra on Kings row. Unfortunately, it was not enough to defeat uh, Vancouver on that map, which yeah. is not, not surprising, honestly. 
but it was really interesting to watch him play that hero. It's not somebody we've seen him play much this year. Again, showing his versatility, his flexibility onto other DPS heroes, not just a Zarya player for those who care. Uh, but Architect, definitely the story of the match. He dominated Vancouver in those last two maps. He made them look silly, honestly. You were just, if you were Vancouver, you had your head on a swivel and it wasn't good enough because <laughs> he was everywhere. He was finding headshots. Uh, on Volskaya, I mean, my goodness, he hit two where it was just like, what? What just happened? So not enough can be said about this roster. I, I really can't say enough. They're playing so well. Architect didn't even play till stage four for crying out loud. Like, this is insanity what they're able to do with, with their available roster and depth. And that's not like, it's not like Vancouver played poorly, right? Like, Vancouver looked good. Run and Stitch, Run and Siomensu, which was a little surprising to me. Obviously, Twilight not being in was also a little surprising to both of us. But again, they continue to show that they're more than 3-3 monsters. They can do it all. They can play in any meta. They're built to win a championship. And I mean, for me, this is just a preview of things that come, honestly. So here's the note. At least going back for a full year, which should cover the entire season two, the Vancouver Titans have played 38 hybrid matches, of which 11 of them have been King's Row, and zero of those have been losses on King's Row. <laughs> it's not surprising, man. It's just not. like It's like, it's like they're – I mean, obviously a good chunk of that was 3-3 was three, three time. In my opinion, Vancouver was the pinnacle of 3-3, three, three, and King's Row was like a map that was made for 3-3. Three, three. So not surprising <laughs> to me that they've never lost on King's Row. Not in the least – but that would take us into one of the few matches that would have true playoff implications, and that's going to be the nightcap on Saturday, which was the Los Angeles Gladiators taking on the Los Angeles Valiant. And the reason this had playoff implications is the Valiant coming into this were on the bubble of the play-in tournament. And if they could just win one match, they could make it into the play-in tournament and they would knock out the Chengdu Hunters. The Los Angeles Gladiators would love nothing more than to ruin that opportunity for the Los Angeles Valiant and ruin that opportunity they did for this night. They would take the match three to one. The Los Angeles Valiant still had another match to go. I don't know that anyone thought that they had a real chance in that one. But they still had an opportunity. They still had a chance to hold their playoff destiny in their hands, but it would not be on Saturday night. The Los Angeles Gladiators would take Volskaya, Blizzard World, and Havana. The last three maps to close it all out. So Valiant come out looking strong. And actually, I mean, I, I for a second, I was like, dude, this is like no contest. The Valiant looked to be rolling. They came out dominant. Agilities was, was going crazy. And the Los Angeles Gladiators said, no, we'll have none of this. <laughs> um, of note... The, the Los Angeles Gladiators did bring out Hydration on DPS in that first match, and then they subbed him back out for Decay, which kind of seemed to bring Los Angeles Gladiators back into the picture. But like I said, I mean, on that first map, on Ilios, I mean, the Valiant looked crazy good, and I was scared that this was just going to be an easy you know, 4-0 for the Valiant walking away. It definitely looked like it was going to be a Valiant runaway after that first map. I remember watching that, and I was like, nobody's controlling agilities in the air. You cannot let him do that on Farah on any map. It doesn't matter what you're playing. He will go crazy. And 
I, after that first map, I really thought the Vla uh, the Valiant were going to win the match. I really did. And then yeah. you sat and you watched the second map and you were Which like. It would have helped our picks. It would have helped our picks. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Uh, but I, I really thought that the Valiant were going to win. Then you started to watch map two and you went, oh, no, this is over. Like, I, I remember watching map two going, the Valiant don't have a chance. Yeah. They just, they can't match up with what the Gladiators can do with essentially their best lineup, which is Decay playing with Surefort. Um, I know they've used hydration on tank before, which was fun to see. Don't get me wrong. I love it when teams start to do those kind of things. Yeah, and I've actually seen a lot of hydration on Sigma on his – well, I mean, a lot of the pros are playing Sigma because he's cool, but um, it'd be interesting to see if they rotate him in as an off-tank potentially during during Sigma time. Yeah, and that's what I've been more or less asking teams to do is run your third DPS that you're more willing to, to use in other ways – you know, on a flex tank or something and just, uh, you know, have all of those available to you as you're playing. Anyway, point being, you know, the Gladiators at full strength with their best six just completely outclassed the Valiant, which was unfortunate. You know, this was their best opportunity to win this weekend. And I would have liked to have seen it, I guess, at a certain level. I don't know why, but internally I'm like, man, it would been really cool if they had been in the playoffs to go from 0-7 to in the play-in. I, I do. I I mean, they would have knocked out a, a Chengdu Hunters team that I feel like, even though they're in the playoffs, is kind of checked out on even the season. I mean, even their players are kind of checked out and really don't even want to finish the season. It, from my perspective, Valiant would have been a much better add to the playoffs than watching the Chengdu Hunters. Right, and I think that's where I think that's where I, I come from with that as well. Is it would have been a more entertaining, you know, play in tournament with teams that were playing better, essentially. Yeah. These are the teams that are playing the best. Like even right now, Shanghai's not playing very well. So pick a different team that didn't make it and, you know, switch that out with Shanghai and think, you know, we would love to have the best playing at this time. It kind of makes me wish that there had been a, a stage four playoffs, but at the end of the day, there's not. All right. Well, that would take us to another matchup that had a little bit of playoff seeding implication. Didn't have a whole lot to do with who was going to make it in and who was going to be out. But that's going to be the Hangzhou Spark taking on the Shanghai Floppers. <laughs> <laughs> the sh what's what's like the weaker version of a dragon? I don't know. The, the Shanghai Iguanas. That's one. <laughs> that lizards like salamanders. Yeah, the Shanghai salamanders. That's what we we'll call them. <laughs> no, but I, I mean, seriously, you know, look, all huge amount of credit to the Hangzhou Spark for finally finding a lineup in two 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 that seems to work, making some changes that it feels like they needed to change in order to get God's be the space he needed to be the widowmaker that he has become. Because it is impressive to watch this man go to work. I oh mean, yes. A widowmaker that we didn't have our eye on. I didn't have huge expectations for. A lot of people had Crystal even pegged as the other DPS for the Hangzhou Spark. So watching Godsby come into his own on this Widowmaker has been a storyline for Stage 4 and is going to be a storyline coming here into the playoffs. You know, Certainly has turned Hangzhou Spark into a team that I didn't think had a whole lot of competitive nature in, the, in this playoff into a team that if I'm looking at, I'm kind of – and I don't have some ability or feel confident in my ability to counter a Widow, and I'm a little bit scared of this matchup. <laughs> And then coming into against the Shanghai Dragons, who had certainly in stage three, and I still think I'm still going to maintain that he's probably one of the best Widowmakers in the league. But you're coming in against the Shanghai Dragons, and they're just not. It's the stage four Shanghai 
salamanders. I mean, it's just they have the same players in the same roles. They should, by all accounts, be successful, and it's just not working. Even lineups that were working in stage three, Young Jin on Roadhog and Ding DM in on on Farah and Widowmaker, and it's just not working. And I'm I think we've talked about this in the past that this has something to do with the fact that other teams are practiced on 2-2. They have DPS to counter what they're doing. And Shanghai just was only really prepared to run these compositions against people who are still struggling with 3-3. That's the only thing I can come up with at this point because they tried the Izayaki experiment. It didn't work. So then they brought back in Luffy and Koma on support. The Envy was successful for them all through stage. I just don't know. I, you know, I'm just, I'm confused as to what the Shanghai Salamanders are. I'm not taking them very far in the playoffs at all. I think they're going to be an early exit here in the play-in tournament, um, which we'll talk about later. But, uh, you know, this match would ultimately go to the Hangzhou Spark at 4-0. to zero. Yeah, a little lackluster when you're trying to build these rivalries like we've talked about. I mean, obviously there's four Chinese-based teams now, but Hangzhou versus Shanghai seems to be the right combo to me at least in terms of quality of play yes guangzhou is playing lights out but i think they're better suited as a rival for chengdu you know so this was built to be that one of the main chinese rivalries if not the main one but shanghai just has nothing this stage like they've looked nothing like the team that just propelled its way to a stage three championship i understand the meta has changed but at the end of the day, it changed, in my opinion, in your favor. I understand you were running three DPS and you were, you know, throwing out Farah and teams didn't know how to really combat it without kind of mirroring you. But you ran most of the stage without playing DM. You played DM a little bit in this matchup. I just, I don't understand it either. I think, I think we discussed it a little bit, but I, I would have played Young Jin on Roadhog again. I'd have left him in on Roadhog and played him as a tank. And then if I wanted to do something else, you know, you could sub out somebody, but... I still think leaving DM Ding and Youngjin in, even though one of them has to play tank, was still their best option. It just, for whatever reason, hasn't worked. And I mean, even DM got outplayed by Godsby in this one. So yeah. who knows what's going on? They're just, they're all playing pretty poorly right now, which is sad because they were so phenomenal. And the, they were really the darlings of the league in stage three because they were a rejection of 3 3 at that point and right. proved that you could win without having to play three supports and three tanks the whole time. It's, it's just unfortunate, but credit to Hangzhou. They've looked great these last three weeks, four weeks, whatever it's been, because they looked really iffy those first three weeks of this stage. They had a real chance to fall out of the top six. You know, they regained their footing, but they didn't just regain it. They started to move forward at a rapid pace. And again, I think reclaim their status as the, the fourth best team in the league right now. Certainly based on standings. Speaking of standings, we had another match that had some playoff seeding implications based on Atlanta's early success against Dallas. Being really successful in this matchup would actually bump them into the sixth seed, which would knock down the London Spitfire and would put Atlanta into the guaranteed playoffs. So... Atlanta looking to come in strong against the Boston Uprising and come in strong they would. They would take this match 4-0. to zero. And honestly, the only note for me at this point was once it was sealed, locked, and loaded on the fourth map, they brought in Gator at tank and Funny Astro on support, I guess, just to get some guys some stage playoff time. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, why not at that point when you know you've secured your top six seed, which was your goal. Let's get some people who haven't been out there yet on stage and give them that experience. It's the same with a lot of teams in professional sports. Basketball, usually it's at the end of every game. You know, if you're winning, you just throw in your bench and let them get more PT. If it's football and, you know, you're we've talked about taking your foot off the gas, but a lot of teams like to rest their players in week 17 if they've already got their playoff seating secure or they're not worried about being the three or four seed. Yeah. Stuff like that, you know, they'll play backups and let them get some experience. Uh, baseball, if you're out of it, usually is when you start calling up your AAA guys. Um, if you're in the playoffs, you're only calling up your best AAA guys because you need them for the playoff push. But teams do that all the time, is my point, basically. And it's a good thing to see the Overwatch teams taking that seriously as well, understanding that it's okay every now and then to throw in these guys and get them some experience. Boston, obviously, not up to the task. We've taken them out back and you know beating them over the woodshed a hundred times (laughs) it's just not worth you know saying anymore but i'll be interested to see what kind of moves they decide to make this offseason to better that roster because they need to do something in quick but atlanta playing lights out baby bay erster and lair i mean frd poco poke po let me be clear about that dog man (laughs) they're scary man thank god they got out of the the plan because some people were going to be very unhappy if they had to deal with Guangzhou and Atlanta, depending on where those two teams ended up being seated in the play. in but one of them is in the main playoffs. Unfortunately, they're playing, taking on San Francisco. Just, you know, I'm not going to discredit them when they're taking on San Francisco, but that's not a good matchup in my opinion for anyone. Cause San Francisco is just that good. So, but kudos to them, man. Like five and two in stage one, not so great in stages two. Okay. in stage three found a way to get to seven and zero in stage four and found your way into the top six. That's a, that's a job well done for that staff, especially after losing to Fran after stage one, bringing in Baby Bay. Yeah, really the recovery there of Atlanta. Yeah. It's going to be a big storyline as well. Yeah. Proof proof that you can recover from some bad stages and some player departures midseason if you just get the right pieces put together at the right time and don't sit around waiting forever to make a change or, you know, are hamstrung by a budget. <laughs> Houston. Yes. Taking shots. Taking shots. All right, well, that would take us to the New York Excelsior taking on the Vancouver Titans, a regular season matchup of the Titans, the Titans of old and the Titans of new. And this one we've been waiting for. And we looked at the schedule early on, and especially once we started to see Vancouver's success and New York Excelsior's success, and we were kind of disappointed that it was going to be all the way to stage four, week five, before we could even see them meet in the regular stage in the regular season. And then it was pretty disappointing, you know, with some of the news and notes coming out of the New York Excelsior, which were, we're taking our foot off the gas, we're just kind of relaxing our way into the playoffs. So then we were a little concerned that this would be a matchup that didn't have a whole lot of competitive nature to it. Vancouver has been locked and loaded, number one seed. There's no chance for anyone to compete with that. And the New York Excelsior claiming that, you know, they're taking their foot off the gas and not being competitive. But ultimately... Uh, this matchup would be really competitive, and it would be a 3-2 to two in favor of the Vancouver Titans, but it's not like the New York Excelsior didn't try. And a very similar setup, they come out Librandene on map number one, and then they sub in uh, Flower for Nene for pretty much the rest of the matchup. Interesting uh, for me of note on the Vancouver side, they tried a lot of different rosters. So they started out with Somensu and Hoxall, on DPS, then they bring in Ureg and Twilight to replace Repel on Blizzard World, 
Then they rotate in Stitch on Havana, and then they rotate back in, which at this point, you know, for map five, kind of back to Assault. But then they rotate rotate Slime and Somensu back in on Lijong Tower. So, you know, certainly very interesting to me that they're playing around that much with their roster. Ultimately, the match that that wouldn't matter. But I still want to take down the New York Excelsior because I'm tired of people talking about how good they were last season, and I want to prove that I'm better than them. <laughs> uh, you're funny uh great matchup uh thoroughly impressed we talked about it before came three stages too late and a meta change too late unfortunately um yeah I, like i said i'm still frustrated that it didn't come in like stage two like that's when i kind of yeah. wanted it at that point like when three three was it and that's when you know san francisco went crazy on everybody i would have loved for vancouver and new york to play during that stage and Basically, their peak for 3-3, I still think Vancouver would have won, but it would have been a, a better matchup than what we got in the Stage 3 playoffs or Stage 2, whichever one it was. I can't remember. I think it was Stage 2 now that I'm thinking about it. But um, this was back and forth. Uh, of note, you know, Flower played for New York quite a bit, and there's no Sabiolbi. There's no Pine. We're still running Flower and Nene with Libero, Libero being the mainstay. So I think this is the lineup that they're going to run with come playoff time because that's kind of what they've stuck to here down the stretch. It does give me some positive vibes for them going into the playoffs, whereas before we were like, oh, no, this is going to be one and done again. Yeah, It still may be. There's no doubt about that. It's going to come down to who finishes the seventh seed. I mean, if you end up playing Guangzhou, I'll probably take Guangzhou in that matchup unless you decide to play Pine because you have nobody else to match up with Happy. You know, but if they end up getting, you know, I don't know, Philly, maybe even London, I still would probably lean towards NYXL in that in that case. So it, their matchup is going to matter a lot for them in the playoffs. But at least they they show that they still have that ability to play at a, a top tier level, even though it's still just slightly below a Vancouver or a San Francisco right now. To close out the Overwatch League regular season, we would have the final matchup with playoff implications on the line. This was it. This was for all the marbles for the Los Angeles Valiant. Win and you're in. Lose and you're out. You're done. Unfortunately, it was against the San Francisco Shock, which, depending on who you talk to, are the best team in the league. <laughs> so... <laughs> uh, just really unfortunate that it came down to this point. Uh, San Francisco Shock, just a team we've talked about in the past that just has no interest whatsoever in taking their foot off the gas and relaxing and letting a letting a, a friendly rivalry go by and would probably love nothing more in the dugout to talk about how they're going to take out the Los Angeles Valiant and take them out. They did. They took him out back. It was like the office space scene with the printer. There was many baseball bats. There was no printer left. <laughs> there was no Los Angeles Valiant left at the end. Uh, kind of maybe a little bit of a tactical crouch on map number four. They basically just subbed everybody out. Striker, Sinatra, Nevix come in for the San Francisco Shock. The Los Angeles Valiant, realizing that it was all over, season over, got McGravery back on the stage for one more one more match. Um, but, yeah, I just – Los Angeles Valiant, I thought they put up a little bit better of a fight. I don't really feel like these were super competitive matches. Um, they certainly, you know, showed that they're still, a, you know, a good team. But uh, the San Francisco shot came out and flexed on them, in my opinion. 
just further proof of how good San Francisco is. I knew after Saturday night that the Valiant had no chance. San Francisco was going to beat them. It was just a question of whether it was going to be 3-2, 3-1, or 4-0. And obviously, we got the 4-0. We've talked about it before. San Francisco takes no maps off. They take no mercy. They don't care who they're playing. They just they, they want to win, and they want to you know destroy you in doing so. Uh, Valiant had their chance. That's all I can say. I mean, they can look back at a lot of matches throughout this season and they only had to get one of them over the course of four stages, one extra match. And they would have been in the play in, which is unfortunate. I mean, they're a good team. They're high quality team. They did not fit into three, three. And that's what inevitably killed them in terms of their playoff hopes, I should say. So better luck next year, you know, just keep, keep pushing forward for the Valiant. They're going to be fine. They've got a lot of quality players on that roster. Still impressed with the turnaround that they had as well bringing in fact fiction, Shaz, you know, just getting that whole ship turned around and pointed in the right direction to give themselves a chance in the last week of the season was very impressive. They just unfortunately couldn't handle their business. And I'm sure San Francisco laughed their way off stage, honestly. I'm sure they did as well. Ultimately, Jay will that brings us to a close on our regular season picking. Jay will coming out with a pretty strong stage four going in at 47 and 23. I fell behind a little bit, tried to pull it back. Ultimately, my picks fell in the wrong direction of pulling it back at 43 and 27 on the season, Jay will. So across the entire season, I came in at a cool 67% correct match picks, and you came in at a stellar 70% correct match picks i'm actually thrilled with that result that we are more than 50 50 <laughs> and yeah uh i'm pretty happy about that two guys coming in without a whole lot of experience you know trying to analyze the overwatch league trying to analyze teams and look at who we think is going to be successful um you know honestly if i could just peel back you my my stage one week one picks i think that would <laughs> we were good you know <laughs> if i just Forgot my hatred for the Pepto-Bismol pink and actually was able to pick the Hangzhou Spark because based on talent rather than, than jersey color, <laughs> might have been a little bit more successful, uh, closer to that 70%. But, you know, I, I'm pretty proud of that, honestly. Yeah, makes you wonder what the heck we were doing not going to Vegas, honestly. I mean, there's got to be some gambling on this, right? We could have made some money this season. Oh, absolutely. We need to consider that next year. Stage stage was it stage two? I think we should have been in Vegas pretty pretty all the time. <laughs> yeah, stage two and stage three were pretty good to both of us, but I think stage two was the best for us combined. If I looked at that correctly earlier, but we could have made some serious money off that. So, but yeah, like you said, for two people who are kind of diving into this head first and, and analyzing an esport, um, I know we watch and we analyze with our own eyes and see things, but to actually look at it and try to analyze, you know, why are people playing well? Why are people playing poorly? What maneuvers work? What metas are working? What compositions are working? What lineups are working? That's all something that's fairly brand new to us on, on this level. And to come out and almost get 190 and a 200 games correct out of 280. I mean, you can't argue with that really. Yeah. Thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we hope that you enjoyed our recall here of stage four, week number five, the Los Angeles Valiant homestand, the close to the Overwatch League season two regular season. That was an awesome season. I had a lot of fun. I actually enjoyed GOATS. I enjoyed 3-3. Three, three. 
I took it for what it was and was able to have fun with it. I know some people weren't as excited about it as I was, and that's unfortunate. Very but, unfortunate. But here we are at the end, and Jay will that means it's playoff time, and that's where you're going to find us in the next episode previewing the plans. <laughs>